same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. Welcome to another episode of ABC. I am here with Ming, who is actually somebody I sort of followed you from the when I started this podcast because I believe oh. Oh, I don't know actually how I first saw you, but I think it was like some posting or something in probably a Facebook group, most likely. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're on the West Coast. Yes, I am of the U.S. Did you grow up there? I forget. Uh, no, I actually grew up mostly in the East Coast in New Hampshire, spent a majority of my life there. And um, then I also spent some time in the Midwest. So I've kind of been all over. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's a, yeah. that's a nice transition into. So, okay. I would start with like, tell me about your adoption, what you want to share, <laughs> what you don't want. Yeah. No, just kidding. What you want to share. <laughs> it's all good. No, it's all good. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> Let's see. Usually people start with their year, but I'm just curious. Were you adopted as an infant or were you adopted as a toddler? Oh, yeah. So I was adopted at three and a half, four and a half years old. So I'm an approximation as most of us are. But Mm -hmm. according to my Chinese adoption paperwork, I am technically one year older than what I state to other people. (laughs) Oh, okay. And whereabouts are you adopted from? So I was adopted in Kunming in Yunnan province, which is in southwest China, near the um, Myanmar border. So yeah, very far west. Southwest. Yeah, okay. I mean, not that mm-hmm. like you're an outlier, but it seems like most, most adoptees I talk to you are like from the southeast or like north area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And then you were adopted to a family and you said you grew up in New Hampshire. Do yeah. you have siblings or is it just you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have siblings. I have a sister who's five years older, and she's actually biologically related to the adoptive parents. And then my brother, he's adopted as well, but from Peru. Although I would mention the unique part of our like lives is that I was actually adopted, or yeah, technically I was adopted out of birth order or family order, if you will. So I feel like that's a very important detail to note just because that does affect, I fully believe it does affect the dynamics of a family when yeah. um, someone is brought in at a different one a different age versus like newborn versus like a few months old and then also two with the birthday change that my adoptive parents did that made me actually half a year older than my adoptive brother or my brother who's adoptee and whereas if I just kept my original birthday I would have been at least a full year older so that did I think play a role in the way that like birthdays were handled everything else was handled dynamics things like that so I do like to give that kind of, I guess you could call it like an angle or detail of my life yeah. that I think would uh, is significant to just how I like viewed myself and stuff like that. But we can always, you know, go into that if you want to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause I think that dynamic in itself is already, you have the older sister who's biologically your mm-hmm. parent, like the parents, and then yeah. a brother who's adopted from Peru. So I'm guessing the transracial aspect of your family was pretty clear early on. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I would say also, like, my sister is actually five years older. So there's a big age gap, too. So mm-hmm. that also contributes to how the dynamics of the family went. And also, I would mention that my, I think the significant part is that my adoptive parents, specifically my adoptive mom, she was actually able to spend a longer time with my brother uh, before, 
you know, they left the country. And so that that arrangement also, I would say, affected the way that he connected with them and et cetera. I also would add that, you know, because both my parents come from different parts of the country as well, like my mom's family's from the, you know, upstate New York, and then my father's family's from Minnesota. So they do have their own sort of, I guess you could call it like backgrounds, if you will, that contribute to how they raised us. And then also, in addition, my parents are from the silent well, technically the silent boomer generation is like the cutoff, if you will. Oh, okay, uh, they yeah, were yeah. born in the early 19, mid 1940s. So that's kind of where the um, the separation starts, began, finishes. I don't know. <laughs> so I would say that also added a little bit more to the dynamics of, you know, just how I was raised, how I lived my life, et cetera. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that impacts a lot about like the communication for when you were starting to, I guess, learn more about yourself and then of course adoption mm-hmm. aspect and then trying to have yeah. that conversation even I guess with your siblings too it's like hmm. yeah for sure and then on top of that I just uh just as a caveat some people already know this given the multiple groups I'm part of and stuff like that but also being born with uh birth defect I guess that affected my ability to walk and I you know had both surgeries in China and America so that also affected I would say, or attributed to my adoption story, you know, you need to be grateful, blah, blah, blah. We gave you a boot on your head, boot in your mouth and uh, clothes on your back, that sort of thing, that sort of um, narrative. And then on top of that, because of the surgeries, that was a very big part of my kind of development as a person, just kind of like, you know, dealing with, I could call it like a form of survivor's guilt because it's like, you know, like the surgeries, I'm thankful that they got them because now I can walk. But yeah, unfortunately, yeah. because of the type of surgeries I've gotten, um, you know, they're kind of archaic. It's not a surgery that people do nowadays. Um, just to clarify, I had club foot. So basically that meant that both my feet were turned in severely to the point where I wouldn't be able to support my weight, much less walk. So long story short, I was given or the surgeries that I had in China were actually ironically by a Chinese American doctor. And long story short on that, um, they did the, you know, just regular method of actual surgery and like fixing my bones and finagling with my ligaments and all that jazz uh, to be able to, you know, straighten my feet out. Whereas um, nowadays they use the Ponsetti method, which is a whole different thing, um, which I could go on for a a while on that. But anyways, the point of the matter is, is like, um, because I had, you know, very invasive surgery, I would say that also not only affected my actual physical health, but also my mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. which is an interesting topic because a lot of people don't really nowadays don't really talk too much about the aftermath of the surgery on your mental health. I mean, yes, I'm sure there's articles in medical journals and stuff, but that's not like an everyday topic that people just kind of bring up. Right. Uh, so that's something I've always wanted to try to kind of like introduce Explore. to certain conversations. Yeah. With yeah. certain people, obviously people who are empathetic and chill. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I think somebody who has like more technical knowledge too would be like a good person to talk about that with. I was just saying, yeah, like empathy, empathizing with you. I'm, I'm curious. Like, do you, do you know, or do you recall what your, your genuine first memory is? Do you, do you know? Oh, um, to be honest, I don't really technically have, um, like a first memory, if you will. I would say it's more like a secondary memory through other people's, mm-hmm. um, report, if you will, and then that obviously jogged my memory. For example, I will say I have a few examples. One, so when I um, just tried to like kind of explore a little bit more about my past and stuff like that, I was able to connect with certain people from my past. And those people were very helpful in helping me recall certain things. But 
let's see, more significant memories was I have actual, and just trauma warning, I guess this would be like mm, disturbing information, if you will, but um, for your listeners. But basically, I have these, you know, big whitish lines on my hips, right? And of course, I thought it was because I had like, I don't know, worn my diaper too tight or something, you know, just like cloth against skin for a long time would create some form of scarring or something, right? It turns out when I was able to talk to one of my um, quote unquote volunteer friends who, that's another story, but basically he was able to tell me, and unfortunately he kind of waited a whole year to tell me and I wasn't able to talk to him face to face, but I had asked him prior to that saying, oh, by the way, you know, how was I treated in the orphanage, blah, 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 or the SWI, Social Welfare Institute, you know, how was I treated? And he said, oh, you know, like you were treated pretty well, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And and just to clarify, he's actually from the Netherlands. So he does have his own Dutch kind of way of communicating, Mm -hmm. um, Dutch to English translation. The following year, he kind of wrote me an email. It's like, actually, I had a flashback. This is what actually happened to you. I mean, part of me is appreciative of his honesty as to what happened to me regarding scars on my hips. But a part of me also feels a little like, okay, why, you know, why did you wait so long to tell me, you know, and I had confronted you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other part of it was just like, so in 2013, I did a post, you know, graduation trip abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, this would have been my second time to China. And I, I visited Taiwan with a, or to visit a friend, right? There was this one time I was walking in the street and, uh, you know, visiting a night market and I was by myself just you know chilling vacation whatever right and uh I'd look or this um what's it called this um you know like stall guy like um selling wares and stuff he was um picking up his stuff packing up and I was like oh you know I really like the things that you're selling whatever and all of a sudden I looked down there's a big fat rat on my foot and I flipped mm. out and um, because my Chinese isn't that great and not to mention, I don't even really know Taiwanese. So it's just like, ah, oh, crap. Oh yeah, yeah. So the only thing I could think of was the word for mouse uh, in Chinese or Mandarin. So I'm like, there's a big mouse on my foot. And of course these like really sweet college kids heard me and like took me under their wing and like had me sit down with them. Cause I literally had a full blown panic attack over yeah. a big fat rat. And granted, anyone would flip out if they're not mm-hmm. a fan of rats, and especially in the city. But the point of the story is that I was um, miraculously able to reconnect with an old friend of mine who actually was one of, she was actually from the same cohort for surgeries and stuff um, as myself. So we were in the same SWI, miraculously able to reconnect with her. And so she and I were chatting up, and she's kind of like what I consider like an older sister, even though we're like, what, two and a half years apart, so or thereabouts. So anyways, we were chatting up, and she was like, yeah, like, there was a lot of times being, I'm sorry, but you were on the floor a lot, right? And one could say, oh, that doesn't seem too bad. But no, like mm-hmm. all the time I was on the floor, like either sleeping or whatever. And so, um, yeah, she basically just told me that there's so many times because I had surgery on my feet, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I had all like all my, you know, wrappings and stuff, medical wrappings and so forth. Um, and she said that rats, big, big rats would used to like, basically nibble my feet like trying to eat me basically and so um it's ironic that you mentioned that because then I was like okay so that would make sense why I had that really strong reaction in Taiwan now I mean regardless I would have probably still had a strong reaction because I'm not really a fan of rats or rodents but but a a panic um, attack is a pretty serious 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it was on top of that, you know, being in Taiwan by myself and just like wanting right. to stimulate all that <laughs> all elements. Oh yeah, for sure. And then also the fact that I was also headed home soon, I think, or not headed home, but I was headed to another part of my trip. So I was kind of like in transition mode. Um, but the long story short, when I was able to reconnect with this young woman and kind of like recall our time in the orphanage, granted, you know, we were young toddlers. Uh, yeah. It was just kind of impressive that like, now it made for me, it made sense. I put two and two together and was like, oh, that makes sense why I had such a strong and uncomfortable reaction. Um, one other thing was um, when I was studying abroad in China back in 2011, my class uh, was studying Chinese and we were near this like little kindergarten, you know, daycare school, whatever. And there was this, um, you know, kids songs playing all the time, right? And so during our like study sessions or whatever, I'd just be sitting there trying to focus, but there was this one song that just kept playing and you know, most kids songs, they always repeat them, right? right. So it just kind of drilled in my head and I'm like, huh. I mean, most kids songs sound the same, right? So I'm right. just like, mm, what are the chances that I actually know this song? Mm-hmm. Like know this song. Um, so it turns out I actually, um, after that trip, I went home, tried to find this cassette tape. I know. Yeah. That's way back when, but anyways, I found a cassette tape and ironically I pressed play and that same song, song. played on the cassette, yeah, in the cassette tape, um, along with that song that I had heard back in my college, uh, study abroad trip. Like that's a 20 plus year, you know, yeah. memory lapse, if you call it that, right. Uh, or a time in which I didn't hear the song. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, my brain was able to recall that. So that was kind of surreal. So those are kind of just examples that I can yeah. give you as to how I was able to, in what I call like a secondary recalling of memory. Um, but the other thing is because I feel like um, many of us have certain sensitivities to certain things, whether that be noise or food or textures or food or smell or whatever, right? And that may be due in part because obviously many of us experience some forms of trauma, whether that be in the SWI or with our adoptive families or what have you, right? Right. And life itself um, in general, we just experience certain traumas, some of them bigger than others, et cetera. Um, but the point of the matter is, it's like, I think I also dealt with, you know, growing up, I had a lot of like, you know, um, kind of like survivor or survival experiences where I think I just did what I did, you know, I just did to everything to survive, but didn't really like think about like, if I was happy doing it or enjoying it. So for example, like, I was told as a young kid that I was never a uh, you know picky eater. Like I ate everything in sight. But now that I've become an adult mm-hmm. and I'm like I've made, been able to make choices, and I've also dealt with you know heavy heavy um, criticism, if you will, on my you know growing up years of diet and body image issues, all that you know all that drama, right? Right. My pickiness with food was like I feel like very apparent as I got older, but unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I think as a young kid, I think I just kind of scarfed things down just because I was yeah, yeah. in constant, like, stress, if you will. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think I stress ate, but not in the sense of just like, I mean, I mean, every one of us have had moments in which we ate because we were bored or because we just didn't, like, we weren't yeah. thinking, we're just putting food in our mouth, right? But I think in, as a young kid, because I was always taught, like, or told, like, oh, Ming eats everything in sight, she's basically just eats whatever you know but then as I grew older and learned to have preference and all that jazz I was just like huh I actually don't really like as much food as I thought I did um or different types of food or variety right so like if um any of my close friends would be like yeah Ming is Ming's open to trying things but she's 
she is pretty selective at times and it's all also mm-hmm. because i'm a big textures person so i'm like uh, that looks good but i don't like i don't want to touch i don't even want to touch that no thank you <laughs> this is so fascinating to like hear your perspective of it because you were, mm-hmm. I guess, at the age of basically like three to four and a half, right? Yeah. Possibly mm-hmm. like what in that range. I was, yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. four mm-hmm. and a half, almost five when okay, I was adopted. Yeah. So I'm just mm. thinking, I was like, I'm pretty sure because there's a lot of studies in science mm-hmm. with toddlers in general, but like up to, mm-hmm. up until age four, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff our body will maintain and remember mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. experience and the feeling, but the actual mm-hmm. memory itself was like, I have no mm-hmm. idea. And it's mm. like, oh, that's so interesting to hear your perspective because it's like for me, it's like I still pretty much eat everything. <laughs> oh, like, I got you. Yeah. yeah, but I also think it has to do with how I mean, I would say external factors like how you're raised, um, mm-hmm. and also like what friends you are around. Like if you, yeah. for example, I feel like a lot of my friends, unfortunately, there was I mean, um, I don't know. You probably heard about this in the news about like people's like lunchbox moments where like people were like kind of rude about someone bringing something. Oh yeah, yeah, like a different culture. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, I felt like I dealt with my own lunchbox moments, but not because I was uh, bringing like Chinese food over or something. It was like just the fact that I brought like organic food, which personally for me, I'm very strong about the fact that like being able to eat organic food is like the pretty big privilege out there and like for me as uh someone who was raised under that mentality I I fought against it so hard because I was like you know I think it's very elitist I think a lot of people who eat organic have this very pretentious attitude and there's this very strong hierarchical mentality of like us versus them like oh look how great we we are because we're eating like high quote-unquote high quality food food doesn't have pesticides all that you know the whole jargon all the whole you know, drama with it. And don't get me wrong, if you want to get organic food, go right ahead. But for the majority of people who do eat organic food and who have this pretentious attitude, a lot of them just have no respect to the idea that like, one, organic food is really expensive. Two, not everyone can just afford to go to a farmer's market and just like blow like $6 on one potato. You know, like that just does not, it's not feasible. Uh, what do they call those, uh, like, you know, um, programs, if you will, um, that help people to get, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it, stuff. yeah, like a stipend, if you will, or like a kind of like, you know, the SNAPS program or whatever, food, mm-hmm. um, uh, insecurity, if you will, for people who, you know, need to be able to eat every day, whatever, right. But the point of the matter is, it's like, I, as a young person was, basically like made fun of by you know kids from school or from um you know events um and ironically because I went to a private school from uh you know in New Hampshire like the irony is that like most of the kids did eat organic or some level of organic food it's just that there was always a few oddballs like this one kid I remember oh man he got ripped real hard with the teacher because he brought like I don't know an egg sandwich like what's it called deviled egg but then like two pieces of white bread or something and like she flipped out on him about it and like totally humiliated him in front of everyone and I just sat there thinking that kid is never going to forget and obviously I mean I'm 30 now I clearly didn't forget that moment that she blew up on him over his lunch and so also didn't come from like a strong you know like socioeconomic background at the time obviously he's you know become independent, living by himself, whatever, you know, moved on from that. But at the time, you know, 
it just was a very strong memory for me as a kid, just having this teacher who ironically is an adoptive parent, um, bully the crap out of him and all, a lot of other students. She had this very strong knack for finding quote unquote, the weak students. Like, okay, don't get me wrong, dude, but like, you know the movie Matilda, right? Have you seen yes. the movie? Yes. Okay. Yes. So do you know, you remember Miss Trunchbull, the principal, yep, yep. and how awful she was to people? Oh, yeah. Not just not just the kids, but to other adults, right? Her right. stepdaughter um, or niece, I, I apologize. Forgot That's the story. Right. Anyways, the point of the matter is this, like, if you, you would never have to meet my teacher to just know that she was like a Miss Trunchbull. Like, literally, she was the teacher from hell. But yeah, no, I, I had nightmares about that woman, um, even to this day. And that's something I've been wanting to highlight as well through, you know, just talking to other people in terms mm. of like, um, this kind of stems from, you know, memories as well, because like, you know, if you have a strong memory of the past, whether, you know, good, bad, or ugly, whatever, it's kind of like, I mean, people talk about this all the time, that dreams are just basically a manifestation of like what you're thinking about in your general day-to-day you know, life or right, in right. your past and you're just trying to kind of figure it out because your brain never quote unquote goes to sleep. It's just kind of still working out working. obviously upstairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so and of course different stages of sleep influence different types of dreams and or like more um I don't remember the word. It's like vivid dreams, right? And versus like for example, I don't know, some people dream in color, some people don't. Some people dream dream in like shades of gray, white and black. Uh for me I actually I dream in depending on the dream sometimes I dream in color and sometimes I dream in like I dream in a thought if that makes any sense like I don't have color I just it just ideas just fly yeah through. yeah I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense it does it I'm does, not a dream it does. expert <laughs> it does yeah I, I would anyways, love to talk yeah yeah it's like it's going into dreams well I'm curious because you went back to China mm-hmm. 2011 2013 at any of those points were you starting to do the search stuff at all or was that like even later Oh yeah, I did. I started doing my search actually back in 2011. I've been doing it technically off and on for the past 10 years. I've done pretty much everything under the sun. Um, I believe it. Except the one thing I haven't done is literally just, I haven't done enough like long-term in-country searching, which I really want to do. But of course that costs money. That also requires uh, me to live in China and actually be able to live in China fine. I mean, regardless of the pandemic, I it just, it's um to live abroad is a big feat in itself and then on top of that just to be able to afford to live abroad and so forth but yeah so I've um, definitely been on the search train for a while um, that's also been a very big topic in my life just because I'm yeah very big on supporting other people in searching mm-hmm. and knowing that you know haters gonna hate if you got people who are not on your side for searching they can go you know take a hike I really couldn't care less because <laughs> it's not their life exactly life. exactly um, yeah, and I'm very passionate about like, you know what, sometimes you're going to have to be unfortunately alone, but at least, um, you know, of course, I'm more than happy to be, you know, that friend or that support should right. people want that, of course. This is something actually I wanted to talk about a little more, which is the idea around relationships, which is that um, I'm sure you know in your own online relationships with people, whether that be through your podcast or through other work or what have you. Um, you know, relationships come and go and, you know, that's just fact of life, yeah. right? But the irony of ironies is I've actually dealt with the, you know, the most, or the people who I thought were the closest to me were some of, were the people I've actually never met in person in life, but I've like, mm-hmm. you know, video called or like texted yeah. or whatever. Um, so I've created a type of relationship where, you know, I was comfortable opening up to them. 
and, you know, sharing my secrets or whatever, or even just sharing about my general day, you know, it just runs the gamut. But I think, especially with searching, because it's such a personal journey, you know, I'm more than happy and open to share my experience about searching. However, the challenge I run into, which I'm sure um, you have, if you've, you, if you've been searching yourself or just dealing, or even just talking about it, right, is that there are certain people who are, you know, to your face, they might seem very, you know, understanding and interested to hear. And then the minute you say something, you know, that just slightly rubs them the wrong way, then it's just kind of like conversation over, you know? So yeah, I think it's like me, dismissed. <laughs> yeah, basically for me, I feel like I've been trying to be that person who, you know, I'm more than happy to talk to other adoptees, um, regardless if they're adopted from China or anywhere else. Um, yeah. I mean, heck, I've even have some domestic adoptee friends, you know, people from America, right? And even people who are adopted from China who live in China. So, I mean, I, I kind of have a very, I would say, broad um, network of friends, but um, in regards to the adoption community. However, regarding birth family search, because that's a very, you know, touchy subject and also very sensitive, um, I'm more than happy to be, you know, there to provide support and, you know, encouragement, of course. I also just encourage people to be very open-minded to try to right. keep, keep your expectations low, learn from me, learn from other people, you know, like searching is not for the faint of heart. It's also not for the faint of mind either. Like you do have to have yeah. a willingness to be okay that you might have disappointment. You might have people pushing you around about like, Oh, well, why don't you do it this way? Or how come you're talking to this person? Or what are you doing? Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. That's something that I think is very important to talk about. And then of course, just in general, family relationships, like, you know, in gen, I, I think that's a hard topic as well, because generally in our society, in American society specifically, and of course abroad, it's just kind of similar. There's this like emphasis that like, if you talk about your family, people just assume you get along, which I think yep. is kind of, um, <laughs> off because I think I do my best to try to, you know, check myself about my own prejudice with people, but yeah, I mean, it's just part of the human condition, but what I would say is regards to family relations, like, if someone were to tell me, oh, yeah, I'm not really too close with my parents, I would just, I would just leave the conversation at that and just be like, thank you for sharing, and then I would just move on, um, just because I wouldn't want that person to have to rehash something if they don't feel like it, or if they don't want to feel like they're being put on the spot. However, if the person furthers the conversation and says, you know, like, you know, currently I'm just dealing with some family issues right now. I would just be that friend that says, oh yeah, like, you know, if you ever want to talk about it, I'm here. If you don't want to talk about it, I'm still here. You know, um, it's up to you. It's your conversation. It's your story. But regarding like the assumption that again, if you mention, oh yeah, like I have, you know, these are my, you know, these are my parents or my guardians, or these are the people that take care of me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if someone doesn't know that you're adopted yet, right. So you're just kind of like casually talking. It's like, Oh, yeah. oh wow and then once you mentioned that you're adopted at some point or if they just kind of like oh you adopted um then you know it's just like then you get into this really thick and deep conversation all of a sudden with a complete right. stranger so mm. personally for me I find it really hard because setting boundaries with people especially people you don't really know or even people you've known a long long time and who are just like hey Tara so I got I got a lot of I got a lot of questions for you and you're just like okay yeah. which one <laughs> like, like uh, uh, what's gonna come out this time and right. then of course a lot of people say oh you know certain people just mean well they just kind of not like mm -hmm. their question right blah 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 and 
as I've gotten older as an adult, I'm just like, you know what? I need to do better with, you know, letting people know, hey, you know, that's not really an appropriate question to ask, especially, yeah. you know, non-adoptees. I feel like for adoptees, I'm a little more lenient with their questions because I'm not, you know, we're we're kind of all in the same boat in, a, you know, to a degree. But um, I, I feel like I give a little more benefit of doubt for certain adoptees. However, I will note, there are some adoptees, regardless if they're adopted or not, I'm sorry, but some people are just awful, just in general, not yeah. to be like me, but it's just, I have come to it's realize true. that certain people's true colors come out real bad. Oh, yeah. Hard, I um, mean, especially in times of stress. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> say, it's like when I started really engaging with, I guess, the adoptee community was pretty recent. I want to say what, like two years ago, I guess mm-hmm. two years now, because pandemic was a lot. And I was like, I feel like I'm yeah. so ignorant of the fact of that. Like every community is going to have people who are like not great as well. And it's like, oh, I thought uh-huh. we we're all like here together because we all like, <laughs> share the fact that we're abandoned. It's like, wait a minute. No, some of you guys are really overwhelming or just very negative. So negative mm-hmm. to the point. It's like, all right, do you do you go to therapy? <laughs> I had some honest questions. Like, do you go to therapy? But mm-hmm. yeah, every community has that. And it's like, well, that's that sucks. But it's true. Yeah. And I feel like actually to answer your, or kind of to jump off that um, statement about, you know, going to therapy and stuff, I think that's a very, you know, big hot topic in a lot of communities, whether you're adopted or not. I actually just dealt with this recently. I had someone tell me, you know, that they thought that I kind of took things to heart and took things personal, whatever, and long story short, and this is, this has been a repeat. It's not like this is the only person that's ever said this to me. But they were just like, yeah, it sounds like you really need some therapy. And I'm just kind of like, hey, that's really not helpful. Um, But only because, yeah, only because one, I did not ask for their advice. Two, um, no one appreciates any unsolicited advice, whether that's around your diet or your mind or whatever. Um, I mean, heck, no one wants anyone's opinion about their religion or non-religion, you know, like it's none of no one's business unless you want it, you, you know, you want to share it and you trust people not to judge you for it, whatever. But yeah, in terms of mental health and therapy, I think that's been a topic that I've I've wanted to kind of focus or learn more about, especially for the fact that, you know, it is a very highly stigmatized topic. Um, you know, even just the fact that people say, I mean, it's getting better, right? In modern day, yeah, yeah. people are saying like, oh, I'm going to therapy for this, this and this or whatever. Yeah. But I think it comes down to, like, actually, long story short, I went to a... Uh, kind of like a pilot program, if you will. And they did a, a round, if you call it like an, in, not an interview, but like a chat with all of us, you know, subjects, if you will. Um, none of us knew each other or that I know of, but that's beside the point. The point was is that they asked us like, what would be the, you know, ideal therapy session and how would it look like and all this jazz. And they were trying to do it in a virtual sense, meaning like if they implemented kind of like an app or whatever. So long story short, I really appreciated that they, um, we're very open to diverse voices, not just people uh, from one demographic. Right. Um, however, it got me thinking about my own, you know, experience with therapy and how I've uh, not had the best experience with a lot of therapists and or psychiatrists uh, for various reasons. And that's one of the reasons why I do feel, to be honest, like a hypocrite whenever I suggest, oh, you know, if, if you would like or if you're interested, I could. Um, you know, I, I, I don't ever tell someone you need to go to therapy. I just tell someone like, oh, by the way, you know, it sounds like you have been talking about therapy or wanting to go there. Um, if you would like some resources, I can always give you some. That way it gives it, you know, an open door kind of like mentality and 
um, you know, gives a person a choice to say, oh, actually, you know, thanks for the information, but I don't really want it. Or mm-hmm. even, even the fact that certain people will, you know, I don't, I would never be insulted if someone was like, you know, I appreciate the information, but I never used it because, you know, at the end of the day, it's their choice. And I would actually feel worse if like they used the information and did not benefit from it. And then just kind of like, we're miserable, you know, I would rather that, you know, they figure out their own plan, however they want. They don't need to report to me or anyone uh, regarding their own therapy or whatever. And even if, even if it was a close friend, I wouldn't care less, like meaning I wouldn't expect my close friend to even like hash out like, Oh me, I, I took your word for this and this and this. And you know what I mean? Like, I think it's a personal choice and I think at the end of the day like because mental health is so well broad and diverse and also there's just so many spectrums out there about you know different disorders out there but also just in general just who we are as people yeah it's like a one size does not fit all type of mentality definitely not but I would say the biggest challenge I think that many of us adoptees face as especially international adoptees or transracial adoptees is the fact that this is what I try to tell people is that just because, and this is not a hot, this is not a popular topic, but just because someone happens to fit a certain demographic does not necessarily mean they fit the demographic of um, qualified. So what I mean by that is Mm, that there's too many people, I think, that try to find someone based on the fact that they have a certain background or what have you. However, I think What's more critical is whether or not you connect to the person, you can trust them, and they're qualified to help you with whatever you need help with. If they're not qualified, fire them. Um, but yeah, I know that sounds brutal. It's, like it's, just part of, it's just part of being a decent human being, which some exactly. people, it's harder for them to work to do that than others. But yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you said it earlier. Yeah. It's like some people mm-hmm. come and go. I, sp- I think sometimes online relationships can be stronger than people that you've grown up with or people you've known mm-hmm. for so long just because mm-hmm. I don't know there's just there's so many people and there's different ways to meet each other which is something mm-hmm. that we didn't have when we were younger it was like no it was lacking it was sorely lacking um, oh yeah for sure <laughs> I mean granted with like AOL and like chat rooms and all that yeah. like oh my gosh I don't know about you but well, the first time I went into a chat room as a like I don't know 12 or whatever year old I don't remember how old I freaked out I was like oh my gosh too many people are talking so then I just walked out like I literally oh yeah it was like constant beeping and also the usernames that people came up with were like it's like I can't even follow this some of the usernames I came up with oh yeah some of them were just ridiculous (laughs) that was a whole nother language yeah um I mean at least my usernames I felt like were pretty like I don't know I I kind of regret it now that I think of it like some of my usernames pretty much gave my name away but whatever I mean I just, I didn't realize I could have just, like, told people, like, my name was, like, I don't know, banana cake or something, but instead I was, like, oh, I'm just gonna put my name in it, but, um, oh, well, it's okay, none of those creeps talk to me anyways, um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, yeah, you're right, the whole, this whole change of, like, you know, online communication, I mean, granted, I was a late bloomer when it came down to communication, because, one, my parents didn't even give me a cell phone until like I was like 16 or so or 17 mm-hmm. yeah and I I didn't even get internet until I was like 19 can you believe it dude I was Shit, 19, 19 when we got internet um 
and and then you know if you do the math you're just like holy mackerel like she had that's like I had a lot of time where I could have had internet but I didn't so I mean okay technically I had internet because of the library and school and stuff yeah but like at home it's a whole at home heck no no internet I mean yeah my parents were pretty strict um and that was something else that like is I is ironic because I've talked to people like if they don't know my if they don't know that I'm adopted for example I talk to people and they're just like your parents Asian because they seem really strict. <laughs> I've like, had that oh, too. Try again. <laughs> I've had that too. It's a, I think it's a generation to generation thing too. Because my parents are definitely in the I think almost in that generation gap as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. like strict or just how they were raised and they carry that on and yeah. went back to like yeah. adopted from do you want to go back yeah. do you have you how many times have you gone total three times and oh. um the last time was back in 2017 too long ago and then um I actually was in basically an au pair for a friend um mm-hmm. her daughters um you know wanted to go back for family vacation all that jazz and um I just helped to keep you know keep everyone you know get um taken care of and stuff like that and um, it was about three and a half weeks. So it was a pretty long time for, you know, being yeah. abroad. And, you know, that was a, that was a big deal trip. Um, I think the only one thing I would have changed about that trip is the fact that I wish I hadn't let like a lot of my personal life, like kind of leak into the trip, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like I wish I had really taken the trip as a vacation, but because I had, you know, at that time I was dealing with my own personal matters and stuff. It just, it added another, like, you know, layer of stress that I really like, unfortunately kind of showed through sometimes in my work, which was either like mm-hmm. not being a hundred percent or, you know, I mean, of course I was on time for the family and everything. And I, you know, did everything that, um, that, you know, we all agreed upon and stuff. Yeah. Because, it's like you were surviving. <laughs> yeah. But I would, I, if I, if I could turn back time on that time, I would definitely have, um, I just wasn't very calm at times. And I think that was, just in due part because one my Chinese isn't that great and I did feel a little bit of pressure just because I mean anyone would feel pressure especially if you've been hired by someone who's also your friend and you want to do a good job yeah um and on top of that I was also what I would I mean we did have a translator friend who is also my friend which was great that was a highlight of that trip but um I also just wanted to be as like independent of her right because didn't want to lean on her too hard about like oh, yeah. can you help me with this can you help me with that you know um she has her life you know but ultimately yeah I've been to China three times I would like to go again because I mean I'll always view China as you know a very important part of my life you know yeah. um the other part of it is that like I mean with the searching and this is just speculatory talk is that I've always thought what if I wasn't from China like Ooh, think oh, about yeah, it because like, you said you're some near the I border near the border <laughs> we mm. said that in sync but yeah so and the other part of it is like I am also near the border of Vietnam and mm. so there's that to consider like literally like um part of my province touches Vietnam so yeah Sad. you could literally just drive a car over if I did the uh geography right yeah I think that's only it. Vietnam and Myanmar I, I feel like Oh my gosh, my geography is not that great, I guess. Because uh, I was trying to say like Cambodia, but maybe not. Like maybe like a sliver, but I thought Cambodia was further south. I just mm-hmm. know that like Thailand goes around um, 
Cambodia, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, kind of curves around. Man, this has been pretty, you, you've, you've unpacked a lot of stuff. How do I, where do I even go? It's, it's like some of these conversations, like, oh, these could go on for hours. It's like, yeah, but I know I can't do it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Excuse me. You're tired. Yeah, it's like. I've been up since like 5.30, so don't mind me. Same. I was like, oh my God. Oh, wow. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. it's like getting up at 5.30 to go to work, after work, come home, run, and then kind of relax and go to bed, usually. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm in the process of training for a marathon again, so it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah, I saw your photos. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, New York That's City awesome, awesome. 2021. Cool. Wait, when's that? It is November 7th. Is your first time? Second. Second? Wow, yeah. That's awesome. I gave up yeah, chocolate, I... though. <laughs> again. Why? Oh, because it's like a chocolate? discipline thing. Because I was like, if I eat, I eat so much chocolate, I was like, all right, if I want to maintain like a healthy fitness level, it's like I can't eat chocolate. Oh. Except for oh. my birthday, I was like, except for my birthday, I'm eating chocolate on my birthday. I do. What that. about dark chocolate? Because I know dark chocolate doesn't have as much mm. sugar and stuff. I get it. I get you. I have actually made your sweet tooth. Speaking of which, um, I have. You know what's funny? Like, so I like getting candy from different countries and stuff, and Mm-hmm. So I order it from like, I don't know, uh, like Amazon sometimes or whatever, or like I've gone to the store and like, I have a lot of different Asian markets around my area. So that's kind of cool. Granted, there have been times where I bought like a bag of candy, like a small bag, obviously. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, snap, this is like bleh, garbage. It's gross. So I ended up throwing it away. I'm like, oh, well, there goes $3. Because, you know, they usually upsell. Yeah. Um, because I mean, they have to, Josh, I always get confused. Is it import? export import Import it yeah and this is why i didn't do it um economics anyways no i feel like with the sweet tooth thing like i was saying before to your question about memory and stuff like i have a heavy sweet tooth because literally i'm pretty sure and this is according to my volunteer friend that i don't know man i was like always on candy like i there was some candy in my mouth all the time I think it was as used as a pacifier. You know what I'm saying? Like to just pacify what? me. And pacify. Wow. Yeah. So that's why my teeth are not only crap because, you know, my um, birth mom, unfortunately, she didn't have the best diet according to my dentist and I trust them. Right. And so my uh, dentine is very weak. And I mean, heck, it's why I'm like 30 and a half. Like I'm up to three crowns now. Yeah, I know. Welcome to the crown life. Um, but yeah, so I, but yeah, in terms of like cavities and stuff, Oh my gosh. I had like, how many cavities? At least four major cavities. Cause I had the caps, you know, those big silver caps. It looked like I had grills as a young oh kid. My God. So, you know, I didn't have grills. I didn't even know what grills were, but you know, the point of the matter is this. They literally, like when I came to America, they had to cap all my teeth. Yeah. Oh, it was painful. It was painful. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's why I hate the dentists, even though I know they are nice people for the most part. But <laughs> my, yeah. Um, yeah, my being forced into papoose uh, at the dentist's office was the worst. I don't know how, and they blasted Christmas music, which is ironic because I actually like Christmas music, but not that time because that my face was getting drilled apart. But anyways, so, and the irony is that my father is a retired uh, oral surgeon. So you would think, oh, wow, like, you know, she's like the daughter of a doctor. So therefore she's kind of well aware of like, you know, the experiences of being in a dentist's office, whatever, what have you. 
I mean, heck, he even, my dad even, like, pulled my wisdom teeth out and stuff, which I'm glad it worked out fine because I just did some general research, Tara, and I just realized, like they said, that actually the closer you are to your patient, so in this case, because, you know, he's my dad, right? Yeah. The actual, like, it's actually worse in that sense because that means, like, um, in terms of trust and being able to say, like, you know, what's my pain tolerance or whatever, or, like, if there's a mishap or something, like, by association, it's a lot more complicated because if you have, because in terms of building trust, right, it's a lot better to build trust with someone that you don't have any association 100%. with, like, with your family or friends or whoever. Like, that's why, like, you can't even go to, obviously, you can't go to counseling to, uh, with your friend as your counselor, mm-hmm. or you can't have, I mean, this is even, t- uh, this is kind of touchy if you had your lawyer, hypothetically speaking, as your friend. Like, you yeah. can have a friend who is a lawyer, but they just, you can't be their client. Mm-hmm. Or I don't think so. Or if you can, it, I don't know, the laws maybe are different, but you get what I'm saying, right? So long story short, yeah, my dental experience so far has been like up and down. Like, I don't know how I'm here because I, I just can't, I mean, who, no one raises their hand enthusiastically and says, I love getting my face drilled. Um, right or getting their teeth pulled (laughs) but like for me I'm just like I've had to go through so many dentists to be like okay do you look like someone who has a steady hand because if you do not have a steady one time for example I had a dentist and again accidents happen people happen whatever have you know slip ups or whatever yeah one time he was like scraping my tooth and his hand slipped and the like little tool that he was holding like slipped into my Ah, I know and just like blood I'm sure yep you're like blood everywhere yeah well actually no luckily it didn't puncture me but it was like it was like one of those like it just like grazed a little yeah, bit of my like... gum I was like yeah and I mean again I knew he meant no he didn't mean any malice right. out of it whatever but I was just like dang it this is exactly why I can't trust actually you know now that I think of it Tara I was just thinking about how I have like had so many minor injuries to my you know face or hair or whatever because like for example I used to do like fashion show, you know, for my college for like a fundraiser, what have you. And there was this one time with like, you know, they had to style our hair, you know, do our makeup. It was for fun, obviously. But I just remember that one time I was like, okay, I told the stylist, I was like, look, you can do my hair however you want. The one thing I would just ask that you do not do is burn me. And she was like, oh yeah, no problem. Burn. (laughs) She burned my freaking head trying to curl my hair and like they always do it so dang close and you're just like what in the h and um literally almost every single time I've ever had someone curl my hair they burn me oh and just an FYI the funny thing is people always ask is your hair naturally curly yes it is (laughs) how many times do I have to answer that question oh and are you sure because it looks permed excuse me I would know if my hair was permed okay I would have known that I was (laughs) bought the service and they're just like well I'm just curious I'm like yeah I know I'm not like every other Chinese person sorry (laughs) any questions and they're just like wow you're so interesting because you have really curly hair and then you know I don't know about you but I always found it weird when people commented on my body especially when I was like one didn't ask for your opinion about my body two right why are we discussing my body parts <laughs> like I, mean, I just met is... you de- like two seconds ago. <laughs> I mean, especially as like I think especially as females by birth, I should say, because I know there's a lot of sensitivity with gender, so I don't want to get too much into it. But 
Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, being <laughs> in society today, being a female, and then being commented about our appearance and what the standard of beauty is, it's like a whole, oh my mm-hmm. gosh. My equivalent of that, of the curly hair, is like, is your hair naturally that gray and silver like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? You didn't go get it done? Yep. It's like, I don't know why people ask so many follow-up questions. It's like, I already answered your uh, question. It's like, am yeah, I lying like- to you? Like, they like, don't believe us. That's like, no, it's natural. It's, I swear to gosh, it's like the equivalent of like when someone trips and falls and tries to catch themselves, but like with words. And then they're like, okay, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to insult you or whatever. You're like, okay, well, insult's been covered like from the beginning when you ask a dumb question. And you know how people, okay, you know how in school, I don't know if your school talked about this, but they're like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I'm like, um, yes, there is. Or a stupid <laughs> question, whatever. Because I'm like, okay. Oh, wait, what was it? There was a quote somewhere. I don't know where I saw it, but it said something like, I don't know. It was like, there's no such thing as a dumb question, but there is such thing as like a, like, I, I forgot how the quote went, but it was basically talking about how like, there are such things as dumb questions. And it's just about how you ask it and your execution style, what have you, whatever. But um, honestly, okay. I think it's a matter of like, for me, like there's definitely been times I've asked a question that was like rhetorical or whatever. I'm like, that's not a dumb question. That was just like a nervous question right. versus like an earnest question and be like, hey, you know what? Actually, I, I honestly think some questions are just should be outlawed because you know what? Like either you want to get to know the person based on experience, you know, based on time, based on like relationship, what have you. Um, what is in my, I mean, this is my thinking. What is the rush that people need to come to some freaking answer to be like oh that's okay I okay everything's lining up my my prejudice of you is lining up and I can be so like so um relieved that like I have confirmed all of my bias because of you right you know what I'm saying right and so I mean it's one thing to be like if someone was like yeah you know I'm from you know x country or whatever you're like oh cool you know, and you just yeah. like learn about their country based on how they want to talk about their country, whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, as for the ignorant questions, yeah, it's, oh man, I don't, a... I think especially around body and even just down to even like, what's it called? I mean, heck, I've even had people be like, well, you don't really have like an Asian accent, whatever that is. I'm like, yeah, because I was raised in America. And they're yeah. like, oh okay so which region of america were you raised in i'm like the east coast and they're like you don't really sound like an east coast person i'm like okay who do i sound like and they're like i don't know but you don't sound like i don't know i'm come i don't and then they get like stumbly and they're like i don't know and i'm like well looks like you dug yourself a hole have fun in there right you do bring up a good point though it's like asking questions to actually get to know that person versus asking <laughs> questions to confirm some bias that you've been raised to learn or been raised and uh-huh. have learned I don't know people are yeah. just that's like part of doing this podcast is like a whole human to human thing it's like you uh-huh. know let's just let's try to have conversations and not 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 be rude about it (laughs) ideally yeah and I feel like I mean to be honest I feel like when some people do ask questions I think they they meant they meant to say something else but their Mm -hmm. like words did not come through and also like I do give certain people benefit of doubt if there's a translation problem I'm like okay I'll give you that however if I get to know you longer and you still fudge up 
I'm going to call you out, man. Um, but like, that's another thing I've been told that like, I guess sometimes I'm like known as someone who's like, just kind of says what I think, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, I, but the irony of ironies is I'm like better at saying what I think for other people in terms of like defending them or protecting them. So say like Mm -hmm. a friend of mine was having like a a bad moment with someone, I'd, I'd be calling out that person right then and there. However, for me, I'm just like, very meek and like uh, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna like rock the boat whatever but yeah. I gotten better I'm getting a lot more stronger but okay back to the um back to the aesthetic thing one thing I just noticed and I I don't know I don't really mind it that much especially if it's people within my age group because they're just like oh well I didn't realize you were 30 you look a lot younger whatever right but <laughs> oh my, I think yeah. What bugs me is like in the public eye, I am still seen as way younger and it bothers me because I'm like, I am freaking 30. And it's not that I want people to know that I'm 30 because it's whatever. It's more that I want people to take me seriously. But I think it's because I have a very, as they say, light demeanor and like super happy. Like I'm like, as one of my exes actually told me, they were like, yeah, you remind me of like a chipper dog. Like you have so much energy. And I'm just like, I don't know if that's a backhanded remark. Yeah, that sounds like a backhanded (laughs) remark. I was like um um I don't know like what to say about that and I mean I've had people also tell me they're like man you got so much energy how where do you get that energy like you don't need caffeine I was like I like caffeine sometimes I can't handle coffee but you know I the irony is that I my friend uh, close friends joke with me they're like okay so you drink a red bull but you can't handle coffee what in the heck I'm like Mm. Well, Red Bull's sweet. And they're like, yeah, coffee's sweetening too. You can add sugar to it. I was like, mm, it's not the same. And also, I don't know what it is, but I, I like mixed drinks like with Red Bull and like, you know, syrups and stuff like that. But long story short, back to our original point. Yeah, it would be nice if, I don't know if it's just how I talk and maybe people are like, wow, she talks so like, I don't know, juvenile. I don't know whatever juvenile means, but and also the irony though is that people also say, "Wow, you use such big words, Ming." And I'm like, "Part of me is like, what? Like, is that a backhanded remark, or is this a compliment to the fact that I retain some vocabulary? Or are you just trying to tell me that I speak English good? Because you know how people do that. They're like, "Well, you speak English good." And I'm like, "No, I speak English well." And you're dumb. Actually, I don't say that part, but I wish I could. What? <laughs> what? Why is it that people would? Ah, that's a good one. It gets later in the night. I'm just like, I can't. I can't with people. I mean, I'm very dismissive of people, but as I get more and more tired, I was having this conversation in my room the other day. It's like, you know, I think like many people, when they don't really want to talk to somebody, they're very polite about it. Me, I'm not. I'm just like very rude and standoffish. So I like usually leave. That's why I'm a big fan of like just leaving without saying anything. So I just don't have the patience or energy to be polite Mm -hmm. to people who are just being annoying right now (laughs) but yeah for sure and I feel like even in my job because I deal with customer service and stuff I swear I bet more than half the customers I deal with actually probably not even more than half like 90% of them probably think wow this girl looks like she just like got out of college or something or barely got out of Mm. college because my job obviously I mean heck you could actually I think you have to have some sort of like associate's degree for my call or for my job even though it's whatever but or that's what they it's called a what's called preferred like qualification right um anywho the point of the matters is like yeah I have a large customer base and I feel like I don't know maybe it's the way they dress unfortunately I feel like I have no style and it's also because I'm big on comfort because I mean why why be uncomfortable for like 
eight hours when you could be comfortable for eight hours and be fine. I mean, not look, I don't know. It's not that I don't have style. I just feel like I'm really picky with clothes, like texture wise. And also mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I thought, you know, some people, you know how some people like cutting tags out of their shirts and stuff. I yeah. used to think that was something I would do, but then I was like, I hated it because I still had the stinking tag bit, like still sticking. Oh yeah, skin. sticking. So I'm just like, screw it. I'm just going to keep the tag on there. Um, or, you know, the regular tag, not the price tag. But anyways, yeah, no, I just feel like with style, that's one thing that if I like, I don't know how to dress up to be a little more like, I guess, mature seeming because mm-hmm. in my job, because most jobs have, you know, dress code and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Of course they say business casual, but I mean, come on, what is business casual? But um, these days, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention, most people are just sitting in the ho- at home with their pajamas on. But anyways, <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, any, yeah, in terms of like dressing, like, quote, unquote, my age, I don't know if it's also my haircut, because I did get a haircut just to clean up my hair. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I might actually start growing it out and just like styling it more or something. Who knows? Yes. Um, so but anyways, yeah, it is. And I don't know, I also feel like it might also just, who knows, I think some people are just threatened by people who have like, a lot of energy because I, I think people deem like a lot of energy as like youth or something and like low energy is not but I, I don't know who knows mm. I mean, it's just a theory I guess that people have talked about before but I also think like mm, I just need to I have to learn or like I have to learn how to be around people who are like very chill but sometimes chill people bug me because I don't know what they're thinking and I feel like some of them <laughs> some uh, people have a lot of thoughts behind yes and they don't say it until after the fact and then you're like oh thanks for telling me that I like have been an idiot this whole time right <laughs> well on that I don't note, know. <laughs> on that note it's like um yeah I guess I guess we're actually kind of like rounding out now to to the end I always ask cool. is there anything you want to hear from other adoptees or other people who adoption has been a big part of their life Oh, like, what would I ask them? Yeah, or like, anything you want, you would want to know or don't want to know, I sometimes ask. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I feel like, mm, I think the one thing I want to know more about is just how, how to do better at, like, combating ignorance, because I think it's a lifelong mm-hmm. process, and I think also the idea that certain people take on the mentality that, you know, you should try to take every or most opportunities as a way of like trying to teach someone or educate them and stuff. And for me, I take a very different route where I'm like, look, I'm not here to educate anyone if they're going to insult me or whatever. And also whatever I learn and whatever I talk about, is just my experience. So you can't, you know, assume Mm -hmm. that of everyone. And then the other part of it is just like, you know, I think in some ways it's kind of a form of gaslighting for people if they tell people like, oh, you should just be willing to educate someone if they just happen to ask a stupid question. And I'm like, no, because I think we should all have the ability to have agency in ourselves as to whether or not we want to talk about something or not want to talk about it. That is the way in which we can create our own, you know, autonomy for ourselves. Because if we don't do that, then we're going to have one, heavy burnout, two, Uh, whether that's in work, school, whatever you want to call it, you know, anytime we're interacting with people in the public or even with our friends, right, or family, is that we're dealing with a lot of just heavy, heavy stuff sometimes, you know, 
And I think, yeah, especially with regards to emotional labor, um, which, you know, as people of color, but also as, you know, all these identity identities that we all fall under, uh, you know, respectively to ourselves, right? Um, right. Like, I mean, heck, even as an adoptee, I feel like I've, I've definitely tried to contemplate how involved I'll be, even in an adoptive parent group and stuff, because um, there's been times oh, where I've even yeah. been on panels, and I appreciated the opportunity to talk, but to be honest, I don't know, you know, if I could do that over again, that's the one thing I'm encouraging a lot of adoptees to do is that, like, um, if you're ever invited to a panel or any kind of speaking event or venue, whatever, really encourage the host to well, pay you, right? Because oh, yeah. we should be properly compensated for our time, especially if we're doing an event that, um, you know, involves like, a, you know, real time interaction with people. Right. I mean, I also understand that like certain people, the other part, I think the other part that I was kind of asking about or wondering about is just the level of trust that some of us adoptees have toward other adoptees and or other people and how, I think that's something worth examining more about because I can speak for myself that I've trusted certain people that I'm like, wow, I cannot believe I trusted this person. They're complete oh, yeah. trash and, or they're just complete like deceitful or whatever, or, you know, all the things under the sun. And then I, it turns out like, I'm like, okay, I need to check myself. I need to really examine my relationship with certain people and really understand that like, one, not everything that ever comes and transpires between me and said person is my fault. Two, if I can at least acknowledge where I've gone wrong, okay, fine. That's half the problem, whatever. But three, I have to also know that certain people, like we said in the beginning of this call, unfortunately, some people, because they have such, you know, unresolved issues, what have you, or their daily, you know, issues are creeping up, you know, into their social life or whatever, is that like, I think it's like being able to navigate those social interactions and being able to say, okay, you know what? I'm putting my foot down. I'm setting some boundaries, you know, and it's really hard because yep. I think a lot of us adoptees have dealt with this idea around boundaries being cut because of yeah. this automatic assumption that because, you know, we're under the triad of being an adoptee, right? Adoptee, adoptive parent, birth parent, et cetera. Um, and of course, a triad, I would say, is more expansive. It's not just the three entities. Yeah. There's other entities that would, in, you know, be incorporated, such as the agencies, et cetera, et cetera. So the point I'm trying to make is that, like, these relationships have molded us into the people that we are, we are now. And then, of course, we're learning to unlearn certain habits and things. And I think as adoptees, I think one thing I know, and this was just kind of like something that it's kind of like it's always been on my periphery, but now it's really in my forefront right now, which is, again, just because you have a common story with certain people does not necessarily mean that they are good people. No offense, mm -hmm. yeah. because I feel like a lot of people think, I think the other part of it that I try to talk with other people, either adoptees or not, you know, is that like, don't try to match me with, with an adoptee as a friend or, you know, otherwise, just because we're adopted, right? Meaning, mm, like, interesting. Um, I've had people do that a lot in my growing up years where they're like, oh, I know so-and-so and they're an adoptee and I feel mm. like you get along with them. Like, I don't even know them. Who the heck are they? <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think it's very dangerous because I think it's one thing to be like, hey, look, I have someone who um, I have in mind. They have similar hobbies as you. 
if you guys ever cross paths, I'll introduce you guys. Or like, hypothetically, I know you like traveling to China or something. I know someone who has a love for travel too. Maybe I can connect you two. Oh, and by the way, just wanted to let you know if you care to know, they are actually having to be an adoptee as well. Yeah. However, if the assumption is like, starts off with, oh yeah, this person is an adoptee. I think you guys would get along. It's like, wow, talk about a lot of pressure. Like talk about trying yeah. to like have to con- then be like, you're indebted to that person because in a sense you're having to be like, you know what? Actually this relationship's working out well. And thank you so much for making this match happen or whatever. Whereas I think it's better to have like an organic relationship where if you find out someone's adopted, cool. And yeah. if you want to talk about that, cool. If you don't want to talk about that, fine. You know, I feel like that's the one thing I think a lot of adoptees, unfortunately, many struggle with, especially because, it, again, it comes down to boundaries where a lot of us, unfortunately, were raised by like, well, the power dynamic of I'm right and you're wrong, right? And yeah. there's nothing you can do about that because mm-hmm. we were all, or not all of us, but most of us were raised either by, you know, boomers or silent generation people. I'm not just speaking for just Chinese adoptees. I'm speaking for all adoptees. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think the other takeaway I would say is that like for questions, I guess, that adoptees or that I have for adoptees, I guess, would be like, um, yeah, just how do you navigate also just kind of like your own mental struggles, if you will, without Mm -hmm. like, because like, I think the thing that um, has been talked about in many groups that I've noticed is that as much as I think it can be cathartic and therapeutic to talk about certain things that are very, you know, traumatic at times and stuff like that, I think this has been talked about numerous times where for some people it can be like re-traumatizing a little bit, even though you are consenting to talking about a topic, right? But like when you're in a group setting with complete strangers and you have to hope that like no one's going to be a jerk to you whether to your face or like you know behind your back or whatever like there has to be a level of trust that you know that people aren't going to like you know throw shade in your face or something but on top of that it's also the idea around like the collective trauma that y'all would experience potentially because someone's sharing a traumatic experience and not because that person's trying to be like mean or like hey guys I'm going to talk about a really disturbing subject prepare yourself you know like not like that but just more like it just like kind of comes through as natural conversation develops between all the parties. And I think in one way, there's definitely a time and place to talk about that. But in another way, I think the caveat that people have to keep reminding themselves and a lot of people unfortunately do not, you know, even consider this is that none of us are professionals, meaning we can be professionals in our work and what have you, but we are not professionals in the sense that even if we were professional therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists, Um, And even if we specialize in adoption trauma or what have you, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that's the one thing that I think people, I I hope, my hope is that people do better on whether you're an adoptee or not adoptee is that like, mm, I think it's okay to talk to a close friend sometimes about like certain personal situations and stuff, of course, with the permission, like you can't just start blurting out a very traumatic story. But I think it's also just like, yeah, just that people can't, people who are just like your friends online or what have you can't technically give you much less even legal professional help right then there on the spot, you know, like it's one thing to be like, hey, look, I'm looking for a professional. Does anyone have recommendations? 
I think that's the probably the closest that you can have with that type of topic. But I think it's also just to help the sanity of the membership of the group is mm-hmm. that like, as much as I think, it, like I mentioned before, as much as it's therapeutic sometimes to talk about some, you know, difficult topics, I think it's a matter of just sort of like reading the room, which is hard, especially if it's like a major group or, mm-hmm. it, you know, even like reaching out to admin and saying, hey, admin, like, I'd like to have a separate talk if it's possible, if you guys could help organize one, you know. I think that's a lot more productive and also a lot more professional because then at least gives gives people an idea of what's going to be talked about and whatever. And there's like a general consent by members who are willing to talk about hard topics, um, even down to like, you know, addiction or alcoholism or any kind of like, you know, mental health topic, because I'm not saying that we shouldn't be able to talk about it. I'm just saying that there has to be kind of like a little more finesse or grace with that because not one not everyone is mature to talk about certain topics and two I don't mean maturity as in like you have knowledge I'm talking about maturity as in like the ability to discern what's okay to talk about at a certain time versus what's maybe something that should be kind of in a professional setting or something um and again it's not I don't mean that as a means of trying to censor people but I think in order to protect even the person themselves, right? Even the person sharing their story to protect them and their sanity and to protect other people. That would be my wish or goal one day is that like, you know, ultimately certain groups, um, certain groups are better than other groups, of course, right? There's, there's a spectrum, but yeah. yeah. So that's just something I was thinking about because as much as I've enjoyed talking to people and learning about their backstories and life stories, and again, I'm not chastising anyone. I'm just literally saying, like, I think it would be to the benefit of all of us collectively as well as individually that we be more cautious, not cautious, but mm, cognizant, I think, of the yeah, nature of conversation. That makes sense. And I think it's, again, if people want to talk about it on their TikTok or their YouTube channel about their own life, sure, that can Go be very it. therapeutic <laughs> for them. Yeah. But I also think in terms of a group setting, especially when it comes to online and because of the way that certain people can react or be, and because the, like I said, again, the maturity level is very evident, especially if people, you know, I get it. Some people react and some people would deem that as immature, right? But I also think that it's only natural when certain people react to certain things. And yeah, of course, grace can come through sometimes and sometimes it doesn't come through and mm-hmm. that's when people start like you know cursing at each other or something but I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that would be something that I think to better the adopt the community especially the well just international domestic what have you the people do need to be I guess more understanding of like who their audience is and knowing mm-hmm. that it's probably better to be more it's not that you're deceiving your audience. It's that you're just being a little more kind of like careful, you know, with what you introduce into a space. Mm -hmm. Um, And then knowing that, you know, if you need to put a trigger warning on something, that's great. You know, that does help people to make a choice as to whether they want to hear your story or not. Right. But I also think that especially in spaces where there's verbal communication. And so there's not a way to like, 
oh hold up pause you know what i mean like um that that does contribute to some confusion and some high intensity you know interaction um for certain people and i also think that certain conversations maybe are just better with like say like three friends versus like 10 friends versus a thousand or six thousand mm. or four thousand you know what i mean like mm-hmm. um and i think um i guess the last note i was going to mention was just about like adoptive parents specifically which is this has been talked about in various groups which is the oversharing of an adoptee story whether that's mm. their adoption story or also just their medical you know situation whether it's adoption related or not or i mean more recently and i think this is I don't know if this has come to your attention in your own experience, but I've noticed a lot of people don't understand social media in the sense that like whatever you share online stays online, you know? And so uh, regardless if you delete it or whatever. And so something I've been trying and I'm so happy an adoptive parent said this was like, you know, try to talk to your kids about internet safety and like try to also maintain their photos and like keep that kind of under lock and key, especially if it's like, I mean, just kind of be be smart on the internet, you know? And I I totally agree because unfortunately there's a lot of creepy people out there, men and women and, you know, everyone under the sun mm-hmm. who do not um, use the internet for the right reasons. And so yeah. not to fear monger people, but it's more of a matter of like, you need to be smart. That's, I mean, it's a reality about. thing. It's real. Yeah, it's just yeah. reality. I also think um, a lot of these parents, they're, uh, profiles are very vulnerable as well and mm-hmm. that's something that I've been trying to fight in a lot of different groups of like could you just not share so much like I don't know certain parents have like shared about their child's like development or something and I'm just like can mm-hmm. you not share that mm-hmm. in a group of like 5,000 people like I would not feel good if my parents had done that. And ironically speaking, before the age of social media, my parents did share a lot, like in person with their friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was equivalent to freaking texting a whole paragraph to someone like, oh, look at my daughter did this and that, and da, 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 blah, 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 you know, all that mm. stuff. So anyways, I think that's the takeaway is that one, sharing can be very helpful in a lot of ways, but in other ways it can be very damaging to those involved or even those who are lurkers it can also potentially damage them too even if they're not you know engrossed in the conversation right but I also think it's a matter of like if there needs to be special spaces or things especially and of course with a professional who is hired through the organization that could definitely be effective and that has happened I have been in or I have, you know, known of organizations that have hired a professional to lead a conversation and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that has worked out fine. However, it takes organization, it takes money, it requires time, it takes collaboration. But I also think it's the due diligence of an organization to do that so their members are safe and have ability to have an outlet to talk to a professional if they need, or just to be able to like, even just step out of the conversation as and not as a means of disrespect to the host or anything like that, but just as a means of self-care, which, yeah. Yeah, but I appreciate it too. Yeah, no, I appreciate your, you know, hosting me and everything. Thank you so much. And keep me posted on when you're going to actually post it, of course. Thank you for listening to ABC. You can reach me at Adopted Babies from China pod on Instagram and Facebook or Adopted Babies from China at 
gmail.com. Have a nice day, evening, wherever you are. Bye.